Thank you. All right, Doug. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, before we start the episode, we dedicate. So a guest gets to dedicate it. What would you like to dedicate this episode to? Um, hmm. Um, all the people that went before and created movies that somehow made a difference in the world. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I like that. All right. All right, we are back with director and occasionally, well, you've done acting before, right? Yeah. As well, acting, um, Doug Phillips. Thanks for coming, Doug. You're welcome. It's Thank good to be here. Do you remember your first movie that you got to see, like a drive-in? The first movie I ever saw in my life. Um, I do not. Uh, do you remember like the, what was it, remember the first experience going to the drive-in? I don't think the first movies were in a drive-in. Okay. Um... You know, it could be that yeah. I, I probably saw <laughs> yeah. some really simple kids stuff when I, you right. know, like, you know, Disney's things. Yeah, something like Old Yeller. Of course, that's <laughs> some people would say that's not kid stuff, but that's another. Subject. Right. Yeah. I, I read that book. That was kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The book is interesting because it's written in first person. They didn't used to do that. It had the dialect in the movie, of course. Yeah. But you a lot grew, of people were upset about that. But that's another. Yeah. Well, the only reason I want to start is because you grew up in there like the 50s and 60s, right? Yeah, I'm 68. I was born in July 1950. In, in, in 1950. Yeah. And um. And then I prime- saw a re-release of Bambi and a lot of the old Disney cartoon stuff in theaters, too. It used to keep coming around. Pinocchio was pretty scary for me, now that I think about it. <laughs> in the theater, I would imagine, yeah. yeah. It's kind of- well, it's, you know, the, ep- the part where you know they got all the disobedient little boys and get stuck down in that holding area... Right. It looks it looks like a tavern, so they're all you know they're drinking mugs of beer and smoking cigars, playing right. pool and talking smart. Like, oh boy, we get to be adults early, <laughs> and then they start growing donkey ears and tails. That was and, frightening. Yeah, you're going to ruin my whole life. I'm looking forward to doing this, and that and that's what happens. Yeah, that was that was very traumatic actually when I was seven or eight when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm just because a lot of times because you grew up before like VCR, so if you want to see mm-hmm. a movie, it had to be re released back into theaters and yep. stuff. Yep. And occasionally they do that now because people for kind of forget the experience and they yeah. kind of very gone back. rare though yeah yeah did you go to th- when as a kid did you go to theater a lot or is this I really can't say how much uh, it's getting kind of down that's a long time ago right um, sort of germane to what you'll probably be asking me later um, oh. early experiences that I'm actually using as a basis for. Some of what I'm doing when I was seven and eight years old, we're talking 1957, 58. Yeah, there were a number of times I was an only child. My dad was over there, a truck driver. You know, I just came home Saturday night, left Sunday afternoon, so it was mostly okay. just me and my mom. There were a lot of times I browbeat my mother into letting me go to horror and sci-fi movies, right. and then I'd get scared and you know make her drag <laughs> me back out in the middle. I never get to finish. Um, <laughs> one of the Probably the first one of those that I ever tried to go to was Attack of the Crab Monsters. Which it was a series, Planet, right? You see an influence yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Yeah, I got up to the point where the, you know, the claws ripping off the roof and going to dive down and grab something. I couldn't take it anymore. So I never saw... I was in my 50s something and t- before I finally watched that all the way through and saw how stupid it was. <laughs> you waited that long? Scary when you were little. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. And then I saw House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price and a couple others. I had to walk out on a whole bunch of those. Yeah. But by the time I was nine, which would be 1959, and I was, I'd sit up and watch late night TV, weird stuff. And I'm, I'm in my own home, so it's kind of safer. Right. And then I, so I calloused myself over eventually. So, and, you know, by the when I was nine, then uh, the Angry Red Planet came out, and my friend and I went to see that on Wednesday, and then we went back again on Friday. Yeah, we, I could go through all this stuff. We, and then I didn't yeah. see it for 40 years until, yeah, I could see it on. <laughs> but I always remember that. And you see, obviously, that's an influence for the I think it's, future I did, too. I think the 50s were fascinating for movies because then mm-hmm. they could market it. It was like the first time they really knew to market uh, movies for teenagers. 
yeah. for adolescent for ju- and then like rock and roll and that other stuff is like the really where they start um, selling products to entertain high school kids, kids, and especially music and in movies as well. Yeah, yeah. Around, I remember looking back in old publications. They used to just have top pops, you know, sure, top ten, but then they. They added a tops for teen list separate from the other list and started no, marketing really? directly to teenagers around. Yeah. But movies didn't seem to be aimed directly at teens until, oh, probably the 67 or so. You got stuff like Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, adults are no good, you know. Yeah. Right, yeah. Rebellion against the system, rebellion against authority. They're starting to play that market deliberately. So Hardly any movies that I remember when I was in high school, we weren't even interested in going. But you know, just as I was getting out, and they did this, some of this kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, okay, that might be cool. So, did you always wanted to make a movie? Did you when you were a kid? Oh, not really. Maybe theoretically, but not right. Not actually. That. How did I work up to doing that? This is the question. Okay. Um, I've been a writer all my life, fiction and nonfiction. Uh, so that's you know that's my first my, my first basic skill. skill. Okay, yeah. Me, just writing stuff that people are going to actually read. When I was, let's see, try to get these numbers right. You get this old the numbers all blended. Right, I didn't mean to test you like that, but no, yeah. okay. um, I was forty something. Okay, my wife got me a big fat book called The Dictionary of American Crime by Carl Sifakis for my birthday or for Christmas. They had they got just about anything you can imagine in there. Yeah. You, know, they had, you know, the gangsters, the old West stuff, serial killers, yeah. corrupt uh, city hall stuff. We got two rival police forces. Well, how big is the book? Fighting it's, each other. Yeah, it's... It's going it to be about, massive. Oh, like, you know, 12 by 12 and that thick and each, each right. article is only one column. Anyway, there was a... There was a one-column story in there about an incident on the U.S.-Mexican border in 1855, which I really found fascinating for some reason. Just this little bit, I thought. And for whatever reason, I thought to myself, hmm, that would make a good movie if someone just take it and, you know, look up all the rest of stuff about it and expand it. And without really thinking that I would ever do it or having to do it, I I used to go to sleep at night dreaming like semi-dreaming about how I'd do this part or that part or I'd okay. flesh out the characters, how I'd shoot a scene, just for the fun of it and with no real purpose. But then in fall 2000, I should back up. I, in 1998, I started writing film reviews for a website. Oh, all right. When I started doing that, then I was started watching movies in a different sense where I'm I'm actually thinking about how they're pulling your string, you know, you open right. with a wide shot and exterior and you have an inciting incident and something to make you stop running off for popcorn in the first five minutes and three act structure, all that kind of thing. I never really thought of it professionally before, but I had to think about it because I was writing about it. Okay. But that was just, just to do the reviews and nothing else. But then in 2000, the first Matt Damon, Ben Affleck project green light contest occurred. And I saw right. something about it on my homepage one morning when I booted up my computer. It was only like two weeks before the contest was going to close. Okay. They, they were given whoever won it in the first contest. They'd not only give the person a million dollars as yeah. a budget, but they'd let him direct his let own direct. trip. <laughs> yep. I remember that. Yeah. They split it up into a separate director yeah. contest. And they say, but anyway, it's Hmm. Cause it was, it was a huge national big deal. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, this idea that I've just been playing around with in my head for all these years, yeah, yeah. I'm going to write it out. I'll look up and find out what screenplay format looks like, and then I'll put it in a screenplay format and make a PDF of it, and I'll send it in. And, you know, I'm sure I won't win, but you can't. It doesn't hurt to try. Doesn't so hurt I actually to try. did that. There were like 8,500 entries. I didn't make the cut to 250, but I did have two out of three positive reviews from my competitors. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So that was Especially for you. Started. Ever, first yeah. time ever doing it. That's yeah. nice. So then over the next year, I started reworking that script, you know, you know, making it better, finding out what I was doing wrong, which was a whole bunch of things because I had no idea what I was doing. I started. Right, yep. So by uh, late 2001, early 2002, I was starting to place well in some screenplay contests with that script. Were they primarily short films, screenplays? or no, full the, fe- this is you know, feature length. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. a feature length, yeah, which is about like 120, something like that. Yeah, and if you follow standard 
formatting, then one page should be equal about one minute of screen time. Yeah. So yeah, features should be between 90 and 120. Um, spring 2002, I got to go down to Vegas because I, I placed third in there, the Nevada Film Office screenplay contest out of about 150 qualified entries. That's not too bad. Heck no, no. They brought, they brought down the top three and I just barely made the cut. To be qualified entries, one of the things they wanted was that it had to be three-quarter shootable in Nevada, which of course this was because it's kind of a Western, even though it's really not. It just happened to be a Western in setting, but it was a, it's a human interest story with a lot of things in it. So I was, got down there. They put me up in uh, Caesar's Palace. I got my award at uh, Planet Hollywood from the lieutenant governor, and they made a big media event out of it. So that was all cool. But I got hardly any inquiries from it. Okay. The only, yeah, there was only one sort of serious inquiry, but it's not something anybody would take. The normal... I'm just rattling on, but yeah, yeah that's fine. That's usually, yeah, you know, when you're a nobody, you never been produced before. You know, you're right. You're constantly fighting to get seen. I so agree. Yeah. you can't just send a script to any production company or right because if you do it, it hardly they ever have get... to ask for it. Yeah, and when they ask for it, usually they'll have you sign a release saying. Yeah, I understand that there are lo- there's only so many stories out there in the world, you know, and a lot of them are similar to each other. So if you reject my script, but then you produce something that's kind of like it in the next year or two, that doesn't mean that you borrowed my idea. It's just a coincidence. Yeah, that, That's the kind of stuff, oh, yeah. The only inquiry I actually got from that Vegas event actually went a step beyond that. Okay. The pre-sign that they sent me that, I would have had a sign in order to send him my script actually said if we reject your script and then we do steal your idea <laughs> what yeah they did <laughs> you know notwithstanding anything else in california law or whatever if we actually steal your idea and produce it without giving you credit or oh payment you have to catch us at it within six months of when we start production which would mean in that production not even complete. There's no way I could even know about it. If yeah. you don't catch us within that time frame, yeah. then we're home free. So what an absolute said that. So what I didn't a, sign it. What an absolute taunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to catch us in the act before we get done with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, anyway, it was enough of an encouragement to place well in that contest that I started writing a bunch of other screenplays in various genres. And I got yeah. myself a literary agent and kept on competing in screenplay contests. Ah. Uh, I had a few options or option offers. I actually did option out that first, a, a much later version of that very original script. Like a different draft, like a different edition? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. But I never actually sold a script. <laughs> uh, the the company that picked up that first script, ever, which the its final title was Lost Boundaries. Um the guy was from the Netherlands, but he, he'd made a number of feature films. One of them was right. distributed in the U.S. by Miramax, and he was thinking of some high-level actors to put into my you know main characters. Wow, okay. So, yeah, he picked up the option, and then he had me do a rewrite, which is normal procedure. Yeah, Fix a bunch of things that he wanted to have it done the way he was going to do it. Cause I always wanted to direct a Western, and you're giving me a chance. It <laughs> sounded like Bruce Willis or something. <laughs> so I did that and got yeah. that done. But then... He's pulling in passive investors who really only care about you know, ROI, ROI, return on investment. You know, yeah. They don't care about entertainment value or they want art. Something they just care about commerce. Yeah. So he collected a bunch of recommendations from each of those guys, merged it all into one document, and sent me this thing. Uh, that was pretty annoying. Um, I made some of the changes that were asked for in that document, but I refused to make others for two reasons. One, because for me, you know, even though I'd like to make money at this, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it's art for me first. It's saying something that I want to say, yep, and making the world a better place, or at least not a worse place, and not just doing something just for the sake of being chewing gum. Then, a lot of what they wanted to do in the recommendations was to tear the heart out of my story and take away the purpose that I originally wrote it for and just make it a generic, you know, right, yeah. Western. Maybe Roy Rogers, maybe Clint Eastwood, but anyway, it's some kind of a generic Western. They make fun of that. Take on the, the edge yeah. out of it, you yeah. know, not make it a mixed genre, you know, yeah. they, meaningful they, thing. Well, and I, and I, the other part was that the document had recommendations from different people in them. Okay. 
So some of the things he sent me were mutually contradictory. You know, I can't, I can't shorten this scene and lengthen it both. I can't, you know, I can't shorten lengthen it up, and throw it, it out. Right. Yeah, that was, it, it was actually impossible to do everything that he recommended. Okay. So I, I did what I could. I said, okay, that's that's all I'm going to mess with. I'm not going to do anymore. You know, and he was not going to have a co-writer come in and rewrite it on top of me. Okay. So by not doing. A good right. share of what he asked for, that meant it was just dead in the water. And the way we were structured, I could never get the option back, and it wasn't going to make it either. So I learned from that, and that was where that went. Well, I so think it was never made. I think people have ambitions that when you're screenwriting, it's just going to go through a smooth transition. This is what they're going to use and all that stuff. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I dreamed like that at first. I thought, <laughs> yeah, somebody's actually going to pay me, right? and then they're going to put my vision up on screen just the way I dreamed it. It doesn't work right. that way. Well, and yeah. that's why I did when I did my own comic book, I wrote it, yeah. and I'm going to do it myself because I know if as it goes through other different channels, somebody's yeah. going to want to put their fingerprints on there and like maybe you want to do yeah. this way, this way. And I just want to do it my own way, yeah. the story I like. So and the only way you can keep make sure yeah. your vision is what's published is do if it you yourself. keep control all the way through. Right. You got to be Buddy Holly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you when you grew up were westerns predominantly the genre that you liked, or do you like just sci-fi? Um, because you guys got saturated with oh westerns. yeah, you know, western TV shows were just you know, everywhere, and yeah, you know, a certain amount of western. We went to some western movies. It was yeah, they were big. I remember my dad. Really weird sci-fi was big. So yeah. I remember my dad's like the the conversation in the playground in the fifties was who was who could beat John Wayne versus Superman? Who would win? <laughs> I didn't hear that one. Okay. Well, you're a little younger than me. I, I should have heard it. I didn't. So and then with, with westerns. I don't know. They don't make as much as they used to. Oh, no, not nearly as much. Um, and it's kind of rare to do, but they think they just did yeah. too many or just got... Well, you, it's kind of the thrill. Western white hat guy, you know, was a, sort of an archetype superhero, whereas you got different ones now, the Navy yeah. pilot like Tom Cruise and Top Gun or, or Luke Skywalker or whatever. They kind of represent yeah. something vaguely like that. Do you have a, like a favorite Western movie or just kind of like all of them? Oh, man. Or just too many? I probably can't think off the top of my head. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What do you still? Um, when if there's a western, do you automatically go see it, or just kind of? Mm. It's kind of trail off, or you just kind of? No, no, not really. So when when you do the writing, okay. Do you do outlines first? No, no, no. Usually, I. Every, just just talking scripts to keep it down to a manageable level. But yeah, yeah even at that, uh, everyone is different. I right. might have s some core thing. I, I want to have this one scene up here. I want people yeah. to be able to see that because it's it's important to me what I'm saying in that scene. And I have Got to it. create the rest of the story in order to have a place to drop that scene into. And uh, that was the case in Remake. In um, Lucky Day, these are both films that I actually made and put out there. Yeah. Strangest thing, um, I was working one day at the lab in a male clinic health system okay. know, hospital where you know that's the last job I had that I retired from. There was this shamrock on the counter, so I, <laughs> I, think, I, mean, I pretended it was a four leaf clover, which of course it isn't, but yeah, <laughs> right. Make it. And just seeing that and holding it gave me the the trigger idea for a story that just ballooned on me. It really doesn't make any sense, but that's actually how it happened. I thought of it, uh, I think, on a Monday. I was you know, trying not to say anything that's incorrect here, but I was, yeah, I mean, I live in northwestern Wisconsin, but yeah. in those days I used to shoot movies in Oklahoma. Oh, really? They're, they're, first, they're the people at first, the indie community down there. I went down there for a screenplay sidelight contest that went with a film festival. Okay, yeah. And... The actors down there were really friendly and skilled. And yeah, yeah, we want to help you get started. And yeah, they kept telling me this, like I've heard in a lot of the places. The only way you get your own vision on screen is if you write simpler stuff, wear all the hats and produce it yourself. And we'll help you do it. We'll work for no money. Yeah, crew too. You help us, and maybe someday, yeah, right. Yeah. We'll help you. You help us. And it's it was a really nice, friendly atmosphere. And I was shooting a number of films down there. I was already 
I was I was off work for a week or two because I was possibly exposed to a rabid bat. So <laughs> what? I was, just, I was just in Oklahoma. No, no, up, oh. up here. Up uh, there, up here. Okay. Yeah, you got it in my house. So I you know I can't shouldn't say this, but I hit it with a tennis racket while it was coming at me. So I got the oh my god urine or saliva in my face, and then one of my eyes started swelling up really screwy. So I got yeah you know, all the, all those real painful shots, and then I had to be off work for a little while. So and then right. it was because you have to do an injection, right? Yeah. Yeah, they don't do any ejection down there. Okay. They they inject you mostly in the butt and let it creep up, which <laughs> okay doesn't make sense to me. You ought to inject you know ahead of the site and try to get because right. it's got to get to your brain before the real thing gets there. But no, yeah. th- those are painful. Uh, anyway, so I was off work <laughs> and I, w- I was going to go down to Oklahoma that coming weekend anyway yeah. to shoot a short film on Saturday that was already scheduled. So on m- Monday of the this is less than a week away. Triggered by me having seen that, well, pretend four-leaf clover at work the previous week. Okay. I started to think of a really elaborate story idea. So I wrote that out in a day or two. I think this is correct. I talked about four actresses down in Oklahoma by Tuesday or Wednesday, see if anyone want to play this role across from me. It was a really difficult role. Okay. Very engaging. And, you know, I had two yeses and two no's. Well, one ignore and one no. But two two yeses Got by it, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, and out of the two, one of them really couldn't do it because she didn't have a babysitter. The other one was an actress who was going to work for me on Saturday anyway. Nice. So she right? just, you know, yeah. came over from Oklahoma City to Tulsa and she just stayed over the whole weekend. Okay. So, and then I gathered up a crew of four guys all worked for free and, you know, Somebody else I knew contributed the camera equipment, even though she couldn't help me. So after shooting, just got that done and went down on Friday. Shot that other, the short film on Saturday and then at a different location with a whole different crew. And then Sunday, we basically shot all day in my motel room. <laughs> <laughs> well, you actually, so it was, it was yeah, just me and the actress. So right, the yeah, it just guys, helps. And to... it was like, oh, it was like 100, 110 outside and... So you know, there's actually six of us in the room, even though I can't show any ever all the crew, you know, yeah, keep them right. hidden. And we got all those lights on, so it's really hot in there. And I use, I hardly ever do ADR. I just use original audio for okay. dialogue. I only patch it in real bad emergencies. So of course you can't run the air conditioner for most of the right because then it's going to drown out the noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I had to make fake blood and stuff for fake vomit and all kinds of cool things. Really make a mess of the room for the whole day. So we. <laughs> We shot. It was it was a very long short or a mini feature the way it was. Okay. We shot. And all in the all in, the all in one day. So yeah, it, it edited out at approximately an hour, which means it's useless. It's in that void spot. It's not a real marketable feature, but it's too long to be a short. But it really looked good. So then I thought, well, I've got an the way the story worked. It's a very sad story. Okay. But implicit in it is the idea that if the characters had made a couple of different choices at certain yeah. points, then their lives would have been different and then things could have turned out positive. So I said, okay, you know what I'll do? I'm going to take that implicit and change it to explicit. I'll just shoot a second parallel world kind of where they did make the other choice and just show both of them keep jumping back and forth. Nice. And by doing that, I'm actually keeping the viewer confused for most of the way through it, which one is real or whether they're both yeah, real or actually, whatever. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really plan it that way beforehand, and yet it worked fine. I went down two months later, and all in, also in one shooting day, got another hour of screen time in the can, and then it made it into a, the whole thing into a two-hour feature. All just because I picked up a shamrock. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? What was it called again? Lucky Day. Lucky Day. And, and you, that, the funny thing is he shot it all in one day, too. Well, yeah, two days. Well, okay. One day for each, yeah, yeah for the... Motel scene, and then the other day for the happy family alternate scene, and then a couple of pickup shots, which didn't hardly, you know, yeah, virtually two days. And that's that's really moving. You know, you're in Hollywood, you shoot maybe one page a day, and it costs you a million bucks. You know, yes. We don't operate like that. No. <laughs> we get things done, and you know, people can do more than one job. Are yeah. you comfortable editing? Yes. Yeah. The way I learned all these jobs, one job at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, when I went 
to that place in Vegas in 02. Yeah. You know, to, they gave me a marketing chance. It just didn't work out. I was also invited. That the same script, which is the only one I had at that time, was also a finalist in the screenplay contest at the Beer Bones Film Fest in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I was okay. invited to go down there also, but I just got back from the Nevada trip, and I was also moving from eastern to western Wisconsin, so I, I didn't go down that year. But then in 2004, I was a finalist again in their feature screenplay contest, and it turned out that I won. That was cool. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm kind of free this year. I'm going to go down there and see what it's like. And So I guess I already got ahead of myself. That is the place where once I met the folks down there the first time I went to the festival, they whole bunch of people wanted to help me said, so, yeah you you got to do stuff and make it so you can shoot it yourself can afford it don't you know give your house away and we'll help you we'll work for free and that's that's how i got started so for four years i shot in oklahoma making this 800 mile trip all the time and working down there it just eventually got some things i made you know, they turned out better than they had any right to <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah yeah it's with that long of a supply chain Sometimes right. you have to accept non non perfect shots because you want a complete film, even if it's got crummy stuff. It's I, it's better yeah. than being incomplete and really good looking because you can't do anything with incomplete. But I made for three years. I made some really. They're not really good by the standards that I go at now, and of course they weren't shot in high def because cameras weren't like that then. But yeah. they they were pretty good. But in two thousand heaven, I two thousand seven, I had two cases where I tried to shoot something and had to cancel things went wrong so eventually i i got to switch over and i got to shoot up here so i shoot in minneapolis now generally that's only 100 miles away from me instead of 800 it works out better (laughs) if i don't if something doesn't work right i'll try to reassemble the castle next week and finish that scene and it's it's easier i was what was i trying i forgot what the original question was oh well it was just simply asking you know the yeah i i always regard oh yeah i I know what it was i'm sorry yeah um so the nice the nice thing about meeting those folks down and having them help me was yeah. that yeah they're beating me over the head with this thing saying yeah you, you're never going to make it as a pure writer you know because yeah you know there's only one in ten thousand chance that somebody's going to actually take your script you know maybe one one in one thousand if you got really good coverage but if they right. option it they probably won't buy it if they buy it they probably won't make it and if they make it you won't recognize it when you see it so you yeah. got to do your own stuff. But they said, just yeah, write something and come down here. Well, I'll help you. So I, I got to be a producer, you know, writer of something I was actually going to make versus trying to sell it to somebody else and yeah. produce and write a role for myself, something I would be comfortable playing. Um, but I chose some of my friends down there at first to be director and be behind the camera and do because I, I don't know any of this stuff. I can only take on so many things at a time. Right. Yeah. So I had other people direct for me for the first year and a half or so. I watched each of them, saw how they handled personnel matters, saw how they did setups, and you know, watch, watched all of this. Uh, usually the person behind the camera was also the director. So I, once right. I moved Especially into the directorship, those, yeah. I still had somebody behind the camera, but I was making some calls. as a, So I, I got to ease into the director role and do my own, yeah. I, I was trying to imitate the best traits that I saw in each of the other directors that I'd s- seen that were working for me. And I'm not really a people person by nature, but I forced myself to. <laughs> right. Well, stuff, yeah. <laughs> even though it's against my dad and I manage, I guess I treat most people fairly well. Editing. I didn't take that on for a long time. Again, I had, I had people up here where I live okay. who edit for me. Of course, I'm looking over the shoulder. So in a sense, I'm the final editor, but I'm not doing the dirty work. I can right. see how the, the software yeah. works, but I'm not, not doing the, but then around 2008, most of your indie people switch from standard def to high def cameras. Around 2000, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. that's when Blu-ray started popping up and everything. Yeah, yeah. Other way, changing from 480 line definition to 1080 yeah. line. So it's two and a half times as detailed. And the editors I were was using, they're basically just videographers who did weddings and yeah, little misty star and pit junction pageants or stuff like that. They weren't changing their cameras, and therefore they weren't upgrading their software into the newest release that could handle high def. So, just kind that of meant I no longer had editors available. So, well, that's another thing I got to do myself. So I had to buy a computer that could do all that and take it on. But did you try well, it out first before you edited, it, or you just went at it? No, I yeah, I really didn't have any choice. I had stuff backing up in the can, and okay. okay so in 2010, I bought a 
bought a computer with a decent amount of uh, memory and you know processing speed and i got the the newest version of premiere pro at that time and yeah I'll do it myself the, the only reason i ask is a lot of independent filmmakers especially when they write and direct um just to save time they're already editing stuff in their brain before they even start making it like well we can probably you know just to oh, in, in, in that sense yes yes i yeah i don't uh I don't write shot lists. I don't do sketches. Well, generally I don't. Once in a great while I will. But usually, okay. yeah, I mean, what we do is so simple. Andy Winders has been my DP for the last, you know, yeah, I was ever since ask you 2010. About, yeah. He took over in the middle of a film and finished it for me. And I, I basically work with him ever since. I very seldom use footage from anybody else unless it's an emergency. And uh, he's got a very good eye. He's worked for me as a one-person crew a lot of times. You know, there's just nobody. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'll put on the phones and hold the, sure. the boom if I'm not on the yeah, shot. You, if I'm you, in the shot, he does it everything. He does, okay. He puts the, the boom under his ar armpit, or else he puts it on a tripod. So he's camera and sound everything. Um, yeah, it's it's he's a really great guy. Um, and he gives me a product, and here I go. But <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, you know, this is so simple. I've got an arrangement. I can shoot at somebody's house. Yep and this weekend but i've never been to that house until we actually get there they might send me photos of all the rooms so i can kind of start to figure out how to do it right or right. they might not so there's really no point in trying to sketches when i don't know what the room i'm going to be shooting and it looks like we have to go in there and andy and i just figure we just kind of wing it and figure it out as we're going so that's that's about as far from hollywood as you can get but it's, <laughs> yeah, right. it's worked pretty good for us most of the time well it does it, it kind of you have to figure out how to problem solve as you go right yes. especially when you're an independent filmmaker i don't oh, yeah. think people understand that that a yeah. lot of it you're just doing as you go because yep down in our level we are <laughs> you, can't right. you can't afford to sign a contract and kick yeah. everybody out of their house for a weekend and you're not even in that it's just by any means necessary we do whatever we need to do with whatever we have available all right, we're going to take a small little break, and okay. we'll come back. I want to talk about Journey with you. Okay. All right. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. We're a podcast that takes a deep dive into nerd culture. Every episode, we will talk comics, movies, video games, and even wrestling. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Poppy. The Amazing Nerd Show. The show you never knew you wanted. Doug and uh, the short films before we get into your full feature film you did a couple of short films um, you showed me one I think was oh my, my newest stuff you mean yeah okay. yes I uh, in December we shot Salt and Sand which is actually a multi-song music video right uh, it's not there's no diet could qualify as a drama because we're acting out what occurs especially in the last song but yeah that just uh we just had the theatrical premiere last Friday night at Z Fest, and uh, that's the one that doesn't have dialogue. It's music overlaying yes. as the yeah. actors yeah, are doing. Yeah, no it. just just the music and then sound effect of the record <laughs> needle right. that I patched in. How did you? What did you pick the music? Or who picked it for you? I, I did. It's okay. Yeah, Kelly Lynn Nott is originally from Minneapolis. I've used her music in my films for you know fifteen years, and. Especially the the story song that ends that video. It's not something I could use anywhere else because it's a story song. Because I thought it was an interesting story. So, I so when you a way to act it out. So when you did Salt and Sand, what came first, the music or the story first, or the film first? The the story is in her song, and okay, I was just you know creating something. I thought about spicing it up. That's kind of the wrong word in that context, but you know. Yeah, you know, one of the subjects is uh, domestic neglect, of course. Sure. Uh, I wondered if I should crank it up and actually show abuse, which would go be being going, which would be going. Excuse me, tongue tied. Beyond what the song actually says, but no, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Try to keep 
we restricted yeah. pretty much to her vision, so that's the way that we shot it. Just things, yeah. People kind of drift apart, and she's like, you know, songs like "Ghost in This House" or something, but it, it turns really ugly at the end. But I don't want to give that away. So, Salt and Sand, um, and how long did it take you to shoot that one? Was that under the week, like a weekend kind of a yeah, one day? Yeah, and then we've you had pre- our previous guest on. You had Gwen on there. Yeah. Yes, Gwen. Gwen is the the wife and that thing, and then Wade Dalberg, who's doing quite well. He's on some TV cop shows or whatever. He drove. All the way up from Iowa, 200 miles one way, just to work in that for me, which I appreciate. Plus, he contributed his big fat white pickup truck, which is part, <laughs> part of the story. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what was the next, uh, the other short that you wanted before we get to Journey? Um, okay. Yeah, I'm in August. I th- I'm losing track. Yeah, I guess it was August. Um, yes, I shot the short film called Inseparable. That's something I wanted to do for a long time. I I don't remember where I got the idea from. I just you know, but I just have it. It's right. A, it's it's more family friendly than most of the stuff I make, but it still has a little bit of an uncomfortable edge in it. You know, it's about a a white girl and a you know partly black girl who are really close school friends. Yeah. There's external forces that just don't want him to be friends. So right, this parents, is the one where the parents are worried right. about him getting beat up or whatever if they stay together too long. Just you know, worried about external problems, which has nothing to do with them. Yeah. So this is the one where you show them as kids and then they grow up a little bit. No. Oh. Okay. No. No. It's just it's just it's a separate. one day occurrence. Yeah, I guess. Oh. The, the two right. girls and then some some guys that kind of pick on them, even though they don't mean to. That's kind of hard to explain. And then I got both moms, and then I'm cast oh. as the one girl's grandfather. And okay, then, that's okay. Right. Yeah, um, I wanted to. There's a there's another contest in Minneapolis. That's just in Minneapolis. Aside from Z Fest, the other one is called the Fifty Fifty Challenge. They have different challenges during the year. There's the Hope Challenge, the City Challenge, which is now a state challenge. And then the Hallow's Eve challenge, which in October, which is horror. Sure. <laughs> the Hope Challenge is made is supposed to be for positive films, things with a really happy ending, or you know, yeah, forgiveness, yeah. reconciliation, stuff like that. Sometimes <laughs> things get in there that <laughs> sneaky. may or may not actually fit that definition closely. <laughs> but anyway, if I were ever going to yeah. make. Uh, Inseparable. I wanted to enter it in the fifty-fifty hope challenge because sure. it's a perfect okay. fit. I the trouble was until recently, the time window according to contest rules to shoot it would be like late fall and into December, and then they'd screen it in February or March. And the nature of the story that I wrote, it had to be shot in summer or early fall when leaves are still green and there's still bees, you know, buzzing in the flowers and stuff. It's just yeah, yeah. it's integral to the story. So in 2016, I tried to set it up and shoot it right at the end of September, just before the right. leaves going to change. Sure. And, you know, things went wrong. I couldn't shoot it then. And then 2017, I tried the same thing. I still had the same <laughs> problem. <laughs> yeah, I had to cancel it that year too. And I, I always had Sally Ann Hunt and Avis Justin cast as these two girls. Yeah. I really wanted them. And then both of them are doing very well. You know, they're going yes, out they're doing in right. LA and yeah. pretty soon they're going to be <laughs> unionized and then they couldn't use them anymore. But I finally, last fall, last yeah. talk, cause I finally got him into the film, you know, before they, well, I, well, I still had him available cause they 50, 50 changed the rules. They let me shoot early if I wanted to. Nice. Okay. So nice. I, I was safe and I managed to get it done. And yeah, once, once it was set up and I had everybody there, we shot it easily in one day. I shoot almost all my shorts in one day. So it, it turned out really well i'm very happy with it so that's it's already up on my amazon account and it's on streamlit.com and some other places but and it's called the actual theatrical premiere was in january at nathan block's event and then um yeah it'll be shown in some other festivals and finally this may i think it is it'll be shown at 50 50 hope challenge which is what i originally originally did for even though that's not the first place it's being shot i just really wanted to be in a hope challenge and i'm going to be yes i'm happy about it's that. called inseparable right inseparable i just want to make sure everybody if they want yep. to look for it okay yep. and then you just shot it one day right yeah yeah so yeah there's the basic theme is friendship and overcoming adversity resisting outside forces trying to interfere with you know something that's positive and then i got a little 
subtext about uh, healthcare problems and you know <laughs> medicines that cost too much. All kinds of interesting right. things that I might put up as a former healthcare professional myself. So yeah, uh, one site that I've got it on, they they actually labeled it not safe for work. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, there's. You know, there's needles and injection. And oh, okay. Who knows? Yeah, if you yeah. just see that without yep. the context, it probably looks scarier than it really is. Right. Of course, they weren't. Yeah, it was actually a blunt needle. But <laughs> so, when, just, after uh, inseparable, what was the next project that you worked? What's the next one? Did today? Uh, that was in August, and then I, and they shot salt and sand in December. Okay. Yeah. Uh, those are the. Yeah, um, those are the only two things that I shot in 2018. I've been working on planning other things, but yeah. When did um, when did Journey come? That was Journey. Ah. Journey into the docile pink planet. Yeah, this this is the big thing, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes, this is that's my newest feature. Yeah, it's already on Amazon too, and I'm, I'm going to have all three of those the two shorts in the feature will be at Bear Bones in Oklahoma. In so if you have Amazon Prime, you can find yeah, Journey. Yeah, if you have yeah all. I've got 21, 22 films total that on on all of, all of them are available as free with Prime. Okay. In the U.S. and U.K. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make uh, sure. Yeah. Rest, rest of the world. I'm working on getting some of them in the rest of the world, but that's a it's a different process. Most of the world, they can't. The filmmaker can't put it up there. They got to go through an agent or a rep. Yeah. So I have somebody putting a, trying to get a number of my films in the rest of the English speaking world and also get them subtitled in German and Spanish, but it's not done yet. I just signed with them a month or two ago. Okay, Pink Planet. I where did that come from? You yeah. you've seen it, but yeah, the view, right. most of the viewers haven't. Way I had the idea for a version of that as far back as two thousand seven, I okay. think. All right. But it's it just was never on on the top of my list. And again, here's the matter of adapting to circumstance, which is, <laughs> which is what we do at the, at the level of indie that I work at. You, right, if you have an opportunity, you take it. Um, 2015, in July and August 2015, I was already shooting on a feature, a totally different feature. Okay. What I shot back then was just some background stuff that's like three years earlier than the main storyline. And I've still never finished the rest of the film, but that's okay oh. because, you know, now I'm three or four years older and I'll, I'll look for you. It'll work out just fine. <laughs> but I, I was working, I was in the middle of working on that. Right. I really wasn't thinking about doing anything else. But then uh, I, I saw on the internet, through, you know, all the groups that I'm in, the film groups and stuff, um, Conrad Fleming, uh, True Haven Studios out in Winstead, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a Western set, and he's got a, a closed metal building with green screen inside of it. Oh, uh, all right. Does He built a spaceship interior set. No kidding. That's where and he got, okay. And it had, had it inside. The two walls of the room are green screen, so you, you can turn the, the capsule any way you want and look out through there and then replace yeah. the green screen with outer space or whatever you need to replace it with. He was trying to do a Star Wars fan film. Couldn't raise enough money for it, so he gave up on doing that. And he was going to sell this. I keep calling it space capsule. It's not. It's it's in, it's yeah. the interior of a spaceship control room. It's like a cockpit. If I call it, yeah, yeah. cockpit. And if I say it wrong, I'm sorry. But he was he had a buyer for that. He was going to ship it at the end of September. So he put up a notice. It was probably in TC Cinematics or one of those other Facebook groups. And, if anybody wants to come and shoot it, some scenes for your film, now's the time to do it because it's going to be gone in September. So I said, okay. Again, because of that, I had to respond really quickly. I said, yeah, hmm, yeah. That would give me better production value than I ever could have just dumbing up my own relatively crummy looking spaceship interior. Yeah. And I, because I'm making a film, it's, it's vaguely based on the angry red planet and those other, you know, movies that I saw when I was a kid that I've always loved that still stuck with me. I have to make it halfway reasonably, you know, sort of, sort of kind of look like it so otherwise yeah. nobody's care. So this is like the opportunity of a lifetime. So I pulled out the script. I rewrote it. I drove out once to Winstead and looked at the set. I said, okay, it's a three-seater. Origi in my original plan, I was going to have a four-person crew just like in the film that I'm parodying. Okay, yeah. And okay. I, I would just, and I would just play the, uh, Less Tremaine character, the scientist with the goatee, and then I have yep. a young, you know, the, yep. the leader, and then the the female, the botanist, 
you know, they'd be a romantic interest plus, you know, the, and then the the Jack the Jack Crucian character with the freeze gun, you know, kind of a comic relief Curly Howard guy. Yes. I'd have all four of us tonight, but it's okay. If, if the control is only a three-seater, I probably want to do it. So I'll, I'll make myself a combination of the Les Truman and Jack Crucian characters. So I rewrote it that way. Um, I didn't have time to put together and have a young couple. You know, I was, you know, I was running out on the clock. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's do it another way because <laughs> I'm, I'm aiming it. I got to do this by September 30th. <laughs> um, so I rewrote it again, right. and then I made my character a combination of all three male roles. So, okay, now I get to be the, I get to be the yeah, expedition yeah. leader too. And then I contacted Patricia Anger, who is actually my own age. You know, so I don't want to look like Woody Allen Jr. or anything. No, no, something like that. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. she, she and gets, I were both sixty-five yeah. when we shot that. Yeah, uh, we played sixty, but we were really sixty-five. So yeah, she's the female role. She's female, and then I'm all all the guys rolled into one. So. so. So I actually didn't even have to use all three seats. <laughs> uh, but that was the simplest way to do it. Yeah. Rewrote it again, had so everything would be consistent. And then um, just Patricia and I and Andy Winters and a sound person went out there on a weekday evening. I think it was September 29th. Really cutting it close. And shot in there from like 6 or 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And got all of those spaceship interiors in that one evening. Nice. That's really pushing it. Yeah. Uh, and we got all done. Then Kyle tells me, oh, by the way, you know, the sale fell through. You didn't really have to come on a weekday night. <laughs> of course she's going to tell you afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Maybe. I don't know if he neglected to do it on purpose. But that's okay. anyway, we got it done. So once I have that done, okay, yeah. now I got to push it. And it's like anything else. You, At least the way that I do it. You do okay. the, I try to do the, the most difficult to schedule things first. And then, you know, if anybody doesn't show up, if I have a backup plan, I'll call in the emergency backup actor or whatever. So, yeah. And, but when we do shoot the most difficult thing, then whoever was actually in it, okay, and then you, you're going to play the role for the rest of it now when we do it in the simpler stuff. And most of the rest of the film just consists of stuff that's set inside one house. Yep. So, you know, once I had the spaceship stuff done, then I arranged for Patricia and I and the other main characters to all... You know, shoot the house scenes. I was going to do that in October. Had a bunch of problems with actor availability and location availability, so I actually didn't get that done in October. Okay. Did something else instead. As, as long as Patricia was available and Andy was available, I shot two short films for Z Fest <laughs> on that weekend, October, that I had set aside just just with just Patricia and me. Oh, really? So yeah. just you know, taking advantage of the time since I had to pay Andy anyway, and you know, yeah, you know, every, the people that did set aside their time, I give them something to do. So th those are fun. But then I still got, I got I still got to finish this project. I started. I can't waste that footage. <laughs> but finally, by December, yeah, we, I, I secured Ryan Gilmer's house to do the main shoot at, and then got the other supporting actors that I needed. Everybody's locked down, and we. So virtually all the rest of the film was shot in one weekend. Okay. And we actually got done by midday Sunday. So we had um, Tatiana Krause is a Russian agent X. Yes. <laughs> she actually is Russian. So her oh, she really? Is, yes. Her accent is authentic. And Vanessa Wilson as agent Y. So Vanessa worked at a clothing shop that has a vintage line so she supplied her costumes and Tatiana's costumes. Nice. Okay. Tatiana, yeah. And she met with Tatiana and worked you know, tried to imitate Tatiana's accent so they'd sound like they were both Russian agents. <laughs> well, they, they're not really agents. They're agents from Russia but they're not Russian. That, yeah. That's kind of a nitpick. And then, you know, Chris Chiray, of course, was the other main character I needed in there. He's... In the film, he, he represents... As far as what I'm doing in parodying, you know, yep. he's, yeah, yeah, partly because he has the looks, he's he represents Russell Johnson, the actor. Okay. So yeah, I've I've got references built into my film to Attack of the Crab Monsters, which Russell John was was in yep. and got killed off. <laughs> he got killed off in other sci-fi films like This Island Earth, and then he finally ended up in Gilligan's Island and got typecast, just like everybody else who played in that. You know, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a fix a radio, right? Yeah. So I've got. 
as as you already seen, I've got references to every Gilligan's Island character built into my film. I'm just kind of having a lot of fun with it, where everything gets to be a mishmash, and yet things kind of line up. You know, like a, I'm lining up giant crabs with giant bat rat spider crabs, and yeah, I had a good time with that. Uh, so we did all, all that. Um, yeah, Chris and Ryan helped me with sound, and yeah, you see Ryan in the background. He doesn't have speaking scenes in what we shot that day but he does okay. have speaking role later you know dubbed in and then january we shot the it was just another weekday evening <laughs> we shot yeah. the scenes with jennifer kelsenberg in ryan's garage that's kind of a thing by itself even though right. it, re- it really was done in the same house okay okay uh and then a, a short like a one-hour shoot to get the scene with me with the 1960 pontiac um my real life wife, Marcia, is actually the stand-in for Patricia in that scene where I'm driving that. Oh, oh, okay, all right. Because yeah. you, you see, you know, getting into the yeah. Pontiac, yeah, yeah. She's wearing a wig and all that. But then, you know, once, yeah, when you get out of there, that's her in the <laughs> distance. But then, it, okay. of course, it's Patricia when you cut to the shot in front of Ryan's house when we walk up to it. Yeah. And then, uh, whose car was that? It was. There's a place back in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where I live. Where there's a guy who works on old cars, and he has a whole bunch of them at this. Uh, really. A storage garage next to his okay. shop garage, and you know, I just picked one out, and we just <laughs> he backed out, and we drove it around town over there for a little while, and got those shots. Nice. And then because I was limited by what model I could use, and therefore that's the model that I rode, and I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, I would have preferved a Chevy or something, but I, you know, yeah, what the use I got. <laughs> so yeah, I made fun of that. Yep. But I'm pulling back. I'm, I'm imitating the Pontiac. Yes. Sign, even though I couldn't say that. Yeah, that's. Um, and then the, so I had virtually everything in the can then, except that I wanted Sid Corpy to play the role of Ebb because she kind of looks like Flo, if you know what I mean. I get it. Back but she wasn't, uh, she wasn't available in 2015. You know, and Jennifer did a, you know, a beautiful job as far as what she had, but she doesn't look the part and didn't have the costume. Yeah. So I felt that the average reader isn't going to understand the reference that I'm making in there unless I also have a flow. <laughs> yes. It would be working for us. So yeah. November, 2017, I added in that scene. Okay. That was okay. And that, yeah, you know, that helps to explain the rest. So yeah, by then Sid was available and she's wearing her costume. We just had to take uh, the brand name label off of it and get rid of some pr- proprietary stuff and just, you know, just just go under the radar so we don't get sued. So we, we <laughs> added her to the movie after all. So she's yeah. Flo, who's Ebb's supervisor. So they're both insurance, insurance agents. It is funny, yeah. Yeah, and then I and I and that was another scene for Ryan. You know, also he's the sergeant, of the the Martian agents that are all in, infiltrating and watching over this dance party in Mars. Um, and then I added in Tabby Della Roseby, who's. Yeah, she's a beautiful actress model, and so yeah. she's playing a combination of Tina Louise as Ginger Grant and Ray Walston as Uncle Martin, which is a pretty weird combination. It is kind of, yes. Yeah, you got a full-length evening gown, and yet she's wearing the rabbit ears, too. Yes, I like the rabbit, yes, yeah. I like that touch, yes. I'm just I'm just making fun of everything I can within yeah. there, so. Yeah, so it's a way to reference another Gilligan's Island character and Beyond Mars at the same time. I My brain works like that. Whose Gladstone record was it? What? The Gladstone record in the garage. The Gladstones. Um, Do you remember that? Was that yours? It was just a piece of paper. I printed oh. uh, you know, a certain likeness on there, but I didn't let I the camera it. see it clearly. Yes, I get it. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the way I really wanted to do it a long time ago, you know, back in 2015, you know, Sid Corpy had a really great Flintstones collection. Okay. Incorporate some of that doing, you know, have somebody holding a Fred doll, but, you know, just put your fingers over it enough so you can't see his whole face. <laughs> Cheat those ways. Actually, Sid is holding a Fred doll in the scene she's in, but it's completely invisible. I just wanted to put it in there even though it can't be seen. Oh, okay. But All right. For the, in, in the substitute deal I had to do in the garage scene, I, you know, there's just a picture of Fred, but I'm not showing it. The, the Flintstones were originally called the Gladstones. Really? And Sid actually has some, some did have some old stuff for the, publicity materials and figurines or whatever that actually used that name. So they, they changed from that to the flagstones. 
But then they were afraid that would infringe on high and Lois, where their last name is Flagston. So they finally came up with Flintstones, and that's what they debuted with. So the timeline is all correct. Flintstones came out in uh, like September 1960, which is just the where just where I my character in the film says that it was. Yeah, because he's in you know he leaves for Mars in October 1960. And and I'm making the vague reference to how Jackie Gleason, you know, was thinking right, about suing him, taking him off the air because it was obviously a copy of the Honeymooners. But it's obvious, like, yeah, you know, that's the most popular show on TV. Everybody will hate me if I do that, so I'll drop the lawsuit. <laughs> and then, because um, that was on nighttime, right? It wasn't like a car- daytime cartoon. No, I think yeah, it was, it was a nighttime cartoon. It was the most popular show on TV for a while. Yeah, it was kind of mar- not really marketed for kids, but adults can enjoy. Yeah, too. yeah whole family. And then uh, I've got the reference in the Martian dance party. I, I guess I need to explain. Sure. In, at one time, I was going to have the Martians be monstrous and just be able to transform themselves into human appearance. But I okay. I went with something simpler because I can't afford the prosthetics or any of that kind. So the Martians yeah. are humanoid and they're... The technology on Mars is 55 years ahead of the same technology on Earth. So when our characters from Earth went there in 1960 Earth time, it was like going to 2015 Mars time. Yes, yes. And yet there are characters there that look just like our characters on Earth <laughs> yeah, at yeah. the same age, and yet the time frame is off. That's Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm making fun of bad science in 1960-era sci-fi movies by doing that. There's yep. a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense, and yet it's kind of fun. Anyway, so there's this dance party that our Earth character is invited to, <laughs> and it's really full of Martian agents. The whole thing is a trick. But um, So there's one song that my Earth character and Patricia's Mars character are dancing to. Um, it didn't say what the title was, but we said that it's... And she's saying it's an old hit record, because for Mars, it would be... If yep, it was from 1960, yep. it would be 55 years old. Yeah. It? Yeah, she says it's by Skinny Chess, which, of course, is a reference to Chubby Checker. That would be his Martian corresponding double. <laughs> right, corresponding. And then right, I have I a, yep. kind of a ribald joke, which yeah. we don't want to go into, that off place from that. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Actually, the song we're playing there, yeah, that's actually a song by my wife's cousin, Howard Glazer, a blues guitarist. Oh, really? Who okay. used to open for Johnny Winter. And when you think about it, the twist, the Shelby Checker song, is actually structured as a blues song, even though yep. it's marketed as rock, because you got you, know, you got your three yeah, lines yeah. per verse, and yeah. the first two lines are identical in lyrics, yep. but you go from bass chord to subdominant to dominant, so yeah. So I use yeah. a real blues song to just vaguely stand in for it. <sighs> My mind does work like that. <laughs> and then I use that, yeah, I use that song again over the closing credits. Nice. So, and... It's all a, a parody of kind of everything about like the yeah. 50s and 60s. Yeah. I um well, not just that. The the three main things that I have in mind were Attack of the Crab Monsters, you know, Angry at Planet and Journey yeah. to the Seventh Planet, all of which I put the trailers on the front of the film for. I can right, do that yeah, because trailers want... are by definition not copyrighted. I had yeah. to make sure of that. I was going to Okay, that's yeah. good. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I really would have liked to be able to put up a little clip from Angry Red Planet showing their cinemagic effect, the pink two-dimensional, three-dimensional merge deal. Okay. But I couldn't do that because that's, you know, that's not allowed. That really is copyrighted. So I just, I would like people to see that so they can judge whether I, the way that I imitated it in the first scene after we get off the ship on Mars is a good match for it or not. But yeah, they'll just have to go see the original if they can find it, if they've never seen it before and see what they think. Well, that was a lot of fun. But there's probably a hundred other small movies, TV shows, comic books, children's literature, just about everything from all eras that I'm making fun of one way or another in that film. So some of them, there's very vague references. Some of them, yeah, you have to be my age and my degree of geekiness to probably get them all. And even then you probably wouldn't. I didn't get them all myself. There's some things I put in there unconsciously and I only realized that I did it after it was done. <laughs> like for instance, you know, like, you know, the the insurance agent, you know, Jennifer's yeah. character, Eb Melchior, I'm making fun of Eb Melchior, the one of the writer directors of Angry Red Planet. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah, of course they are. I'm spelling her name with, you know, E B B, but then just to be stupid, she's saying, and sometimes we spell so, it with just one B for short. <laughs> I just thought I was being stupid, but afterwards I thought about well, okay, then I'm making if you just spell it E B, then it's yeah. just it's it's more like 
Ib's name, Ib. Ib. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize I was doing that. And of course, Sid Pink, the other writer, producer, director, am I referencing him right in the title? At the same time, I'm making fun of it being pink instead of red and being right. docile rather than angry. Yeah. And angry. Yeah. Docile is the correct English American English pronunciation, by the way. Yeah, it's really the way most people say it is British English. But either one is correct. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, compared to the original movie, it appears that the Mars that we're going to is just welcoming and friendly, you know, and not yeah. scary at all. But, of course, it's not. <laughs> Everything is under the surface. Well, I hope I, I get some people the interest to go look for it when they don't want oh, That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Doug, I have to say, we're, we're out of time. We're out of time. Oh, it happens, man. you know, when you have to cramp and rush and everything. Yeah, I know. So... It's been great. Thank you very much. I yeah, appreciate it. And hopefully we get everybody to you know, go out and look for your movies and enjoy them. <laughs> okay. Thank <laughs> um, you. It's not over till the guest says it's over. Okay. Oh, I have to say it's over. There you go. <laughs> it's over. Thank you.